Welcome to Deal Shredders. We are your hosts, David and Greg. We are local Nashville investors, cash buyers, and real estate agents who love to analyze your deals. Hey, fellow listeners, thanks for tuning in. If you have not already, please check us out on Facebook, like us on Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or listen to us on Anchor or any other podcast means. We would love if you would leave us a review or some stars if you like what you hear. You listeners are what make our podcast grow, so please don't forget to tell your friends. This week on episode six of Deal Shredders, we talk with Tyler Cobble and how he underwrites all of his commercial deals and specifically his first commercial real estate syndication. Tune in. All right, guys. Yo, guys. All right, everybody. Welcome to episode six of Deal Shredders. Got Mr. David Morgan hosting What's with everybody? me. And today we have the man himself, <laughs> Mr. Tyler that. Cobble. What's going on, guys? Guys. Hey. So here's a little bit about Tyler. Um, this gentleman is a college dropout who has... After that, he wanted to work at a boutique firm for about four and a half years. He got out of that and started his own company, the Tyler Group. What, two years ago, right? It was two years ago, yep, the Cobble Group two years ago. Awesome. Cool. He's been featured in Forbes for utilizing Instagram with commercial real estate. He has an Amazon best-selling book, The Insider's Guide to Leasing Commercial Real Estate, Nashville's Emerging Leader Awards, finalist two years in a row, Top 30 under 30. This guy's not even 30 yet. And he's got last year, 2018, I'm sorry, two years ago, he developed 42 townhomes in Bellevue. And his last year, he acquired 50,000 square feet of commercial space across four buildings. Tyler, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Dude, thanks so much for being here. That's a legit little bio you got going on, man. man. Oh, you know, trying to to add to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So tell us, so... You've been in Nashville how long in the real estate game? Obviously, I know you said you started your business two years ago. That's right, yep. But before that, four years working for somebody else. Were you in real estate at all before that? I was not. I was uh, in college before that. So I grew up in Nashville and uh, dropped out, I think, right before I turned 21. Was that a community college or was that like a university? No, University of Tennessee. Okay, cool. Dropped out of UT. Well, yeah, I I just got really bored. I mean, we, uh, (laughs) my fraternity got kicked off campus. UT football's pro, you know, UT's football program is terrible. Uh, Yeah, right. I know. (laughs) Who would have guessed that? Oh, my God. So, you know, I'm just like, this, this, collegiate experience is kind of miserable. So uh, I really enjoyed working, had done really well in sales part-time. Um, and so I decided, you know, let's let's move home and make this a thing. Cool. So awesome. you moved to Nashville, started working for the boutique company. That's right. Talk a move? little bit. Of, oh, go ahead. Yeah. My Talk, bad. No, you're I was, I was just going to ask you where you moved from. Yeah, from, back from Knoxville. So I'm oh, originally from Nashville, gotcha. went to Knoxville for, for a couple okay. years for college and then came back here. Got it. Cool. So talk to me about that. You moved back to town trying to figure out what's going on. I When I was 21 years old, there's no way I'm thinking like real estate. I'm trying to figure out like what I'm doing on the weekends. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So how does that conversation lead in, or that thought process lead into like, let me work doing real estate or commercial real estate of all things? Because that's a whole totally it's different It's a completely field. different base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so honestly, I had never thought about it either. Um, I didn't even know that commercial real estate was really a thing. Okay. You know, until until I got into it, I didn't realize, like, oh, yeah, someone put this Chipotle here. Like, someone represented right, right. Chipotle and helped them lease right, this right. space. Um, I actually grew up working in construction for my grandfather. Uh, he had a he had a construction company. Residential? And, uh, it was re- residential, yep. yep. So he, he did a, a ton of new construction as well as um, uh, insurance work. So fire, yep. fire damage, water damage. 
And I grew up in the summer working for him. Um, and when I moved back, decided, you know what, I'm going to go take over the family business and started working as a project manager for him. Well, a, a boutique development firm uh, here in town had heard that I was back. They knew what I had done in sales before. Um, so I, I was at Cutco, uh, which I, that's the knife, knife sales. Company, yeah. Yep. Yep. And, uh, back when I sold, uh, I guess when I was 18, right when I graduated from high school, broke every record in the Eastern region that I could get my hands on. So you um, like sales. I loved it. Loved it. That's how I figured out I love sales. Yeah. So, you know, went to college with $30,000 in my pocket and, you know, which most people are spending $30,000 on their student loans. That's so. right. So I thought I was a big guy on campus. Yeah, yeah. I was buying trays of shots and we yeah, were having yeah. a great time. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, I moved back and, and that boutique development firm heard I was back and they offered me a job. So they said, you know, Hey, look, we've got this portfolio of, of retail office and industrial mm-hmm. and, you know, some of it was up to 40% vacant, even though it was class B. So it was really nice product. Uh, And they were just tired of having a big national firm uh, represented because they didn't feel like they were getting the attention they wanted. Yeah, they wanted customer service. Yeah, somebody that knows a local market. Exactly. And someone Mm -hmm. that would actually pay attention to their product. Mm -hmm. And so they paid for me to get my real estate license, gave me a portfolio of over 200,000 square feet to to lease, and uh, I got to work. So did that for right place, right time, right place, right time. I mean, this was six years ago. So the market was very, very different from how it is now. For sure. Got started in 13. So, yeah, cool. So like, what are your, I mean, what are your goals over the next couple of years? I mean, yeah. So over the next couple of years, uh, you know, one thing that I've been working on uh, since I started my own brokerage, that was the easiest first step uh, into, into my, my 10 year plan. Uh, There was no overhead really. So went, started my own firm. Uh, so are you a broker then? I am a broker. Nice. Yep. Yeah, I'm actually, I mean, I'm, I'm 27, so I'm probably the youngest commercial real estate broker uh, that owns their own brokerage in town. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. I uh, certainly don't feel that way, but it's it's funny. Um, I mean, when you're a trailblazer, like, it never feels fun, but it's, yeah, it's right? part of it. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I love it. I love getting to wake up and do what I do every day. Um so started the brokerage six months later, decided I wasn't busy enough. So I started a commercial property management company. Uh, and then a few months ago, um, I started a commercial construction company. So my whole uh, plan is, is to, again, you know, I started off at a boutique firm. I kind of want to have that boutique feel where, uh, you know, I can go find it, fund it, develop it, build it, lease it, manage it and sell it ourselves. Keep Turn everything in house. Now, yeah. do you have other agents in your brokerage? I do. I've got two right now. Okay. Cool. Plus me. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So a lot of people were asking when I told you you were going to be on the show, you're like the king of underwriting deals. <laughs> Could you kind of like break that down? Like if you had a commercial or a multifamily property, what do you look at? And like, how does that, how does that work? How do you do that? Absolutely. So, um, we actually stay away from multifamily. We decided that, uh, about a year ago, uh, was that after some bad experiences are not ideal or was it just like, Hey, there's so much competition there that we don't want to do that. We want to be a little bit more niche. That's exactly what it was. It was, you know, multifamily is, it's very similar to commercial. Like you have to specialize in brokeraging Eat, breathe, multifamily. Live, do this every day. It, exactly. I mean, that, that has to be what you do or else you're not going to find the deals. And so we had, we had a number of clients that were like, Hey, we want to buy anywhere from hundred to 250 units. And we just, we couldn't find deals that Not were worth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. I mean, we were finding plenty of deals, but 
cap rates have been so compressed in Nashville that it, it just it didn't make any you sense. You almost have to have someone do just the acquisition direct to seller for that right. specifically. You know, because usually we look for multifamily, you use other commercial brokers as your lead source. But I mean, if there's no, they're they're not the ones that are. They're going to get the equity exactly. discount, not you. So That's you right. You have to go out on yourself. Okay, cool. That's exactly it. So we just focus on commercial, but um, you know, having the the brokerage background and knowing what rents are helps me very quickly underwrite deals. So. Um, a little over a year ago, I guess this was almost two years ago, it was pretty much when I started my company, I started thinking, you know, okay, well, it's time for me to start building a portfolio of my own properties. And so I just started studying everything that was on the market. And what I, uh, what I found was, okay, if I can find a building that is for sale at under $100 a foot, that makes it very easy for me to go, okay, well, I know that rents in this area are $23 a foot. But if the average operating expense on an office building is $7.50 a foot, that gives me a $15.50 a foot net. Spread, yeah. Right. So, you know, if you're looking at $15.50 a foot on a $100 investment, that's a pretty damn good return. And so that's how I would know. That's kind of the, the metric that I use immediately to go, this is worth my time looking into or we're going to pass. Right. Um, so you know, then from there, it's just, it's getting in there. And uh, I've gone to a couple of CCIM classes. I'm currently working on my CCIM designation of how to underwrite these deals. I mean, it's, it's quite a intensive process. Uh, but, you know, we take everything into account from, you know, vacancies, operating expenses. Uh, I'll go talk to a bank before we even get it under contract. I want to say, hey, look, if we got this, you know, what would your terms be to, you know, I can kind of predict, you know, based on, what tax bracket you're in, what kind of return this building would be. Yeah. So So with your underwriting uh, and what you've kind of learned, because I'm very much a numbers guy, so when you're talking that, I'm, I'm seeing that and processing real quickly with it. Is that something that a mentor or somebody taught you? Because I found a lot of the numbers that I use in residential and the way I analyze deals, nobody taught me. I just kind of right. like figured out my system that I was like, this is – what everybody's saying is cool, but like I took it like 10 steps farther and then I have my own little tricks where I'm like, yeah, roughly, like you were talking about, you know, operating expenses are $7 and 50 cents a square foot. I do the same thing on, you know, rehabs and other things. I know that on a product, I'm going to spend X amount of percent on holding costs and all those right. kind of things. Was somebody there to teach you this or is it something you've learned through trial and error that you've come to your own terms and been like, this is how I underwrite my own deals now? Yeah. So no one actually taught me that. Um, the numbers were something that, uh, that the, the firm I was working with before they kept that pretty closely to their chest. Uh, cause Trade you know, secrets kind exactly. Of right. I mean, they were, you know, I, I can, I can understand it. You see, you look at commercial real estate and go, well, if I teach you how to do this, why are you going to keep working for me? You know, you're going to go work for someone else, which is not ever hardly ever the case. Right. Cause you treat people well and they stick around. Exactly. But if you, if you treat people like they're disposable, then they are disposable. Right? Exactly. And, th- and that's unfortunately how, how I ended up getting treated. It was like, you know, no. So the 42 townhomes that I developed, um, I was the lead on that project, but I wasn't involved in the financing at all. They didn't want me to learn how to finance a project. Or no, understand the rates or how much, you know, yeah. How any of the negotiations go, what to look out for, what to, you know, I mean, none of that. They wanted you to know your little part. They wanted me to, piece. exactly. They wanted me to be able to find a deal and make sure it was a deal and then bring it to them. And guys, I just want to remind you, if you do have questions for Tyler, go ahead and put them in the comments and we'll get to them at the end. Cool. So in regards to- So I taught to, myself. Yeah, okay. So you taught yourself. So with that being said, like 
let's jump back to 2019 last year. Or is, is there like a any specific transaction that sticks out that like you were applying your numbers, but there's a bunch of extra things that happened or unique things that you're like, man, I learned a ton with this deal that really stands out. Yeah, I mean, every deal you do, you learn a, Absolutely. You learn a ton. <laughs> so we can talk about my deal at, at 4013 Travis Drive. I mean, that was the... At the time, it was the largest building that I had acquired. It was 12,000 square feet, two stories. How'd you find it? Uh, it was actually listed. They, it was on the MLS. It was on, well, so commercial doesn't yeah, yeah, use the, the MLS, yeah, yeah, but, but um, it was on, I think it was CoStar maybe, or uh, it was either that or I had gotten a, a broker blast um, from uh, from another commercial real estate broker, but it was... Uh, just sitting there. Exactly. It was just sitting there. It was it was an old it was, older building. It was built in the 70s, early 80s. And it had been sitting vacant for a few for a number of years because um, the owner of the building had actually had his company in there, and when the owner passed away, the family sold the company and the buyers moved the company out. So the the building just sat there vacant, and they they didn't want to lease it back. They just wanted to sell it. So it took them a while to figure that out, and then they brought it to market uh, at one point three million, which was a little over a hundred bucks a foot. So that's kind of how it came out of my radar was, oh, okay, this is close to a hundred bucks a foot. This is probably worth looking into. The more and more I underwrote the deal, I said, you know, I think I offered them like 800,000 to start. And they said- it's gotta be some negotiation room. That's right, yeah. that's right. Were they, they the only one that made an offer if they went to oh, that no. many people? Oh. No, I've had people come back and, and we ended up paying 980 for it. I Just last month, we turned out an offer of 1.4 million for another guy that was actually competing with us. Um, it was- uh, we were going back and forth and, and it was like November. So commercial real estate, I'm sure it's very similar in residential shuts down in the winter. <laughs> Fourth quarter and first quarter. That's alike. right. I know. It's like ghost town sometimes. It's, it's miserable. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, I know commercial real estate brokers that literally leave town for a month or two months. Uh, it's, it's crazy. Um, so I knew that nothing would likely happen between, you know, November and end of January. So I kind of waited on them and gave them a call back. It was still available and I said, okay, look, uh, I'll offer you nine fifty. I think I'd come up from eight fifty to nine fifty, and they counted at nine eighty, which was one hundred and twenty thousand dollars less than what yeah. we had just done two months ago. So I'm looking at it like I just made one hundred and twenty grand because yeah, you know, I probably would have paid one point one. Dude, that's sweet. It's like they almost added just like the commission on there, like to net the nine fifty. Exactly, exactly. So. Um, so I kind of let the deal set. I didn't want them to think, you know, you're like excited. I'm excited. You're just kind of like, I'll think oh, about it. Yeah. Slow so play that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So we, we kind of slow played it. And then I ended up just getting it under contract and running with it. Got it. So tell us a little bit. So you got under contract. What were, Tell us a little bit about the contract terms. Like, did your terms have anything to do with you getting that price? Tell us about the terms of the contract and how you went through those contingencies. Yeah, sure. So, you know, in commercial real estate, it's pretty typical to have 60 or 90 days due diligence because there's significantly more, more involved. Right. So you right. And usually, I'm sorry. No, you're good. But usually during due diligence, you want to get all the financials. You want to talk to your That's bank. Right. You want to and also look at the condition of the property. Is there anything in addition to that? Yeah, I mean, just financing alone can take 90 days sure. in commercial. I mean, it's, it's a very, very different beast. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you want to, you know, the, the bank will require you to do a survey, um, typically an Alta survey, because they want to know exactly what you're buying. Uh, they want to do a phase one, uh, which is probably not typical in residential, but they want to make sure that no chemicals or gas tanks are hidden on the property. So what that's is a phase an, one exactly? So, so a phase one is an environmental report. Oh, okay. Um, so geotechnical engineers will go out on site, they'll test the soils, they'll do scans, all these kinds of things to make sure 
because, you know, if, if there's a gas tank on site, the EPA has to come out. You have to remediate all of that dirt. I mean, it's v- tens of thousands, if not hundreds yeah, of thousands of dollars. They could have had a gas gas station there, tore that down, and put a building on it. You would exactly. have to know, right? Exactly. Got it. Okay. And it's, and it's kind of crazy how often that happens. Um, you know, just a gas station that got covered up. 60 years ago and there's no record of it and so it sounds like due diligence is expensive with commercial it can be i mean we'll typically spend anywhere especially you know on attorney's fees and, and if it's a syndication even more so i mean we'll mm-hmm. spend 10 20 30 grand sure. um which you know it's just a cost of doing business on the commercial right. side yeah. if you don't close on the deal that's it's you're not going to get the money back you still have to pay more. oh yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah absolutely and then you have inspectors you got to go through so um, you know, fortunately, I've looked at so many commercial buildings in my day and, you know, having a background in construction, I, we typically don't hire an inspector. I'll get my contractor to come out and we'll walk it together. And then if I have any concerns about anything else, I'll call that person specifically. Sure. So, uh, you know, this building was built, you know, early 80s. I wanted to make sure that we had the right kind of electrical because mm-hmm. if it's not copper wiring, it mm-hmm. can be. Yeah, you got to do it all. You can do it all again. Yeah, exactly. Well, you're also point. talking on commercial. You're talking about three phase power. Then, so it's not. Mm-hmm. Right. It's significantly more expensive. Yeah. So not every building is three phase, but yes, I mean that's that's those are all the kind of things that you have to look out for because if you've got to run three phase power to the building, I mean we we had one deal where we leased um, to a tenant. The owner thought they had three phase. The tenant didn't check. No three phase power. Well, the tenant has all this heavy equipment Machinery, that they had. They have to have it. So they had to have a generator on site for four weeks while they were going through that process, and it cost, Tons I think, over $10,000. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So you got your surveys, you got your inspections. Now, did you have to renegotiate for any because of any of, that, any of the results? No. So that's, that's one thing that I'm very intentional about. If I get something under contract, unless something substantial pops up, like – completely changes the deal pops up i will not go back and retrade so is there a threshold like let's just say you go do a scope of work and it's like oh my god you know this roof is i need to spend 30 grand on a roof you know i mean like what is your threshold like you know you're gonna budget for some type of capex right i mean that's you know i try to really do that on the front end before i get anything under contract because again i mean that's that's actually become one of a, a part of my reputation it's like look and i'll tell i'll tell sellers this if i get this under contract like that's what you you're know, getting. You're exactly. Like I am going, there. I'm already 70% there and the, I, I will not come back and retrade you. We will have a discussion about it, but I'm not going to say, Hey, I'm dropping this contract unless you do this. Uh, you know, we try to look at that. So how does the roof look? How old are the HVAC units? I want to know that before we get into our contract. Yeah, you're setting because, the expectation from the beginning. Cause at least I found in residential, if I, if I can find someone that's reasonable and I can set that expectation from the beginning, 90% of the time, we don't have any problems. Exactly. But if they're unreasonable from the beginning and we can't even get to like reasonable no terms, right. it's like, cool, call me back when you actually want to sell and we'll go from there. Yeah. Exactly. And and, and it also helps, you know, commercial is so competitive. I mean, so is residential. It's so competitive in Nashville right now for me to be able to walk in and tell these guys that and, you know, hey, you can call all these other guys that I bought properties from and ask them. You know, not every buyer can say that. I mean, there are, there are buyers out there that will intentionally go, yeah, I'll take your asking price. And then three months into it, after yeah. all the other buyers have walked away, yeah. they go, oh, you know what? I need $100,000 off. Yeah. And that's just, that's a terrible way to do a business, in my opinion. Yeah, I have we don't do business that way, and I haven't. Like, I tell people, I don't make offers unless I'm really interested. And if I am, right. my price, I, like, I bought a, 
a piece of property about a month and a half ago, and I found out after the fact that I have an extra $50,000 worth of infrastructure stuff. It's a multi-build. Right. But I took it on the chin because, like, no, I told these people I'd pay that. That's my learning fault. Like, sure. I should have known that yeah. on the front end. Yeah. I should do my due diligence better. And the number's still penciled out, so I'm not going to go back and haggle with somebody over my mistake, ultimately. Um, so, yeah, I get it. Exactly. And that and stuff pops up. You know, I mean, we... Uh, I made sure that we had enough contingency in my construction budget and then the numbers still worked sure, for sure for any, you know, and, and it's a good thing I did. I mean, we got in there three, four weeks after owning the building, one of the water heaters blew out. Well, some genius decided to put the water heaters in the ceiling oh above the drop tile oh. instead of putting it, you know, uh, so it just, it was water was everywhere, water damage everywhere. So, I mean, we had to spend five or six grand on just, Remediating water, water damage. So you have a 90-day due diligence period. Mm-hmm. How long after you satisfy that contingency do you have to close? Typically 30 days. Okay, so it's 91-20. But you've probably yeah. underwritten, I would assume, a good 50-60% por- of like the like the underwritten process is pretty far at that point, I'm hoping. That's right. I mean, I will not, you know, we, we try to get all of our underwriting and everything done during the due diligence period. And do they, does your lender order the appraisal? Are you looking at multiple lenders or do you have your lender locked in? Oh, no, absolutely. We, multiple lenders. We have to. You know, I uh, I have a handful of lenders that I trust uh, that we've worked with in the past that get almost all my business. It's very difficult for a new bank to come and convince me to, to work with them because, it, you know, that's such a relationship sure. game. I mean, you know, bankers, tons of money, tons of money. And and banks are your partners. You know, that's like, that's what a lot of people don't think about when they look at a bank. They're just like, oh, it's just, you know, it's just a bank. No, they're your partner. They're literally taking a chance on you and your banker will go to bat for you if you have a good enough relationship with them. And if you do the same for them. Can we unpack that a little bit? Sure. Let's just say about the lending piece of it. I mean, you don't have to tell us your exact terms, but like most people think, okay, well, I got to put 25% down. So what is like what does that loan look like? If it doesn't have to be your exact loan, but yeah. what is basically? No, I'll tell you kind of what we generally go for. Sure. I mean, we'll put a term sheet together and we'll give that to the banks and go, look, here's the deal. Here are the partners that will be personally guaranteeing this loan, and here are the terms we would like to see. And you know, we'll send that to three banks um, that I believe this deal is a good fit for. Now, not every deal is a good fit for every bank, right? I mean, commercial. There's so many different types of commercial. Yeah. I'm sure you guys see the same thing, like a condo, you know, someone yeah. who's going to win on a condo may sure. not necessarily be the same person yeah. that's going to win on a, on a 5,000 square foot Berwyn home. You know yeah. what I mean? So um, we'll take it to, to them and just say, hey, look, we want a, uh, you know, based on our balance sheets and based on our willingness to, to guarantee this, I want to see a 25 year amortization with 20% down and a 4% interest on a 10 year term. Um, and so you never ask the lenders, you're telling them what you want. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's it's a part of it's a piece of negotiation, sure. right? Because you set the anchor. Uh, so, I mean, that's something that I always try to be the first person to make the first offer, because it's just it's psychologically an anchor, so an for them to then look at that and then counter back at what they would have started off with. It's more difficult for them to get all the way there because then they'll go, okay, well, we've got to try and right because they know that you're talking to other people. Exactly. It's like guys, you got to be competitive because if you're not even close. We won't waste each other's time. That's right. And it's, you know, again, it's not a transactional thing. I mean, we'll go with someone that may have a bit of a higher interest rate if we feel, you know, if they, it just depends on some of the other terms of the deal. Right. But um, I think on that one, we ended up with a, uh, it was a pretty interesting deal. I think it was five and a quarter, which, you know, now we're doing deals of 4%. It shows you how much the market interest rates have yeah. changed. Um, it was a uh, 
20-year amortization with a seven-year term. Okay. No, it was, it was a five-year term that automatically renews three more times. So if we didn't want to change that loan, we could keep it for so 20 like years. A, like you have two But options, it's an arm, basically. so it'll adjust every five years after Based the initial. Based on what prime is or yeah. something. So you got the loan in place. So that leaves you with a 20% down payment on a million dollars. That's 200 grand. Do you, do you already know that, like, I got 200 grand in the bank? How does that down payment come into play? How do you find the funds for that? Do you find it yourself? How does that work? Yeah, I think at the time I might, I might have had, like, 10 grand in the bank. Fair so enough. So definitely okay. did not have 200. Um, so, yeah, this was actually my first syndication, too. So we can talk about uh, syndicating deals and all that kind of stuff sure. as well. So what is a syndication for everybody who doesn't know? Yeah, so a syndication is basically um, it's regulated by the SEC. Um, so it is technically a security where I, I take a commercial real estate deal and it's, it's basically an offering. Um, so there's, there's a ton of regulation under that. Uh, but basically it's a, Hey, you know, we're selling 70% equity in this deal for, you know, an anticipated X return. Um, you know, depending on what kind of, there's two different kinds of syndications, one where anybody can invest and one where only accredited investors can invest and accredited being somebody who normally makes over, over 250 a year or a million dollars in assets. So, uh, I, th- I can't remember which one we we did the one where everybody had to be accredited. Um, Is there now why do you, why does that matter? Well, not why does that matter, but well, how do you determine that investor pool? So it just depends on how you want to market it. Um, you know, if you want to be able to actually market a security, it has to you have to accept only accredited investors. Um, if you're willing to not market it, uh, I, don't, I don't really know all the intricacies of these. If you don't, sure. if you don't have to market it, you can take a certain percentage of mm-hmm. investors that are not accredited, right? Just mm-hmm. because of their relationship. Basically, if you're trying to raise money from friends and family or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. how did this particular deal pan out for that piece of it? How many investors? You know, whatever you want to tell. Yeah. So we actually have um, six investors, seven including myself. Uh, so the G, we did a GP LP split. Um, I mean, it's public record. So the GP took 30% of the deal and we sold 70%. Um, so we, as the GP invest the minimum, uh, as well into our limit. So GP is general partnership. Those are the people that are putting the deal together and running it. And then the LP is the limited partners. Those are the people that are just investing cash. They don't really have a say in what's going on. Yeah, no uh, manager but they're, rights. Basically. That's right. That's right. Um, so we, as the GP, invest the minimum asking um, into our LP as yeah, well. So the so, LPs feel like that you have as much skin in the game as they do. Oh, absolutely. So you can't just walk away and then that. But I've also know with GP and LP, sometimes in the GP situation, like a sponsor, somebody who does the deal, instead of taking their, let's say their sponsor fee, sure. I've also seen sponsors then take their money as the contribution into That's right. the. So there's so many there's different so ways many to ways structure that. So the sponsor fee is basically like the payment for doing the work. It's like a wholesale fee, basically. And, and putting it together, right? Yeah. Sometimes you roll that in. My partner and I actually ended up putting so much money. I mean, because the longer, the more months it pressed on after we had gotten it under contract, the better of a deal it looked. And so we actually ended up putting over 50% of the capital in yeah. um, ourselves, which, you know, of course, our investors love that. So of looking at something like that, you've got all these investors, right? Is it part of your five, 10 year strategy to buy them to cash out and get them out of the deal? So it's just, they get paid back and then you get to keep the deal 
free and clear, you know, 50, 50 partner, or do you try to keep them in? Do you try to move them to other deals? I mean, what is just a little brief? Yeah. Kind of how we set that up. Sure. So it completely depends on the deal. So this one, since it was our first office syndication, my partner had done, gosh, 2,800 multifamily units. Um, but it was his first office syndication. And so we decided to, uh, kind of give our investors a sweetheart deal. Uh, we don't really do this anymore, but we... Trying to make it worth it. Yeah, we were trying to yeah. make it worth it. So we we yeah, actually offered them, uh, you know, our, we have a three-year plan where we get in, uh, renovate the property, lease it up, stabilize it, refinance it, return everybody's cash, mm-hmm. and then they, they maintain their equity in it. So not only have they gotten a return, a significant return on their capital, they've gotten all their capital back, and they still own the equity of the building. Oh, wow. So that's in perpetuity. So basically after that, it's infinite cash flow for the investors. Yeah, they have all their money back. Have all their money yeah, back. The They've already gotten a return as well. Right and then, you know, the the intent was, hey, look, you guys are taking a chance on us. This is our first office yeah. syndication. Yeah. We're going to reward you guys Delicious. in the hopes that three years from now, when we have a major capital event, you guys get all that money and go, here you go. <laughs> go yeah. find us another one. Rinse and repeat. Let's do this again, guys. Exactly. So, Which we've got investors lined up to do that now. That's awesome, man. So you're looking for your you're looking for your investors. So when you're looking at this deal, what are do you have multiple exit strategies? What were the exit strategies that you shopped to these investors? Absolutely. So I really, you know, I'm 27. I really want to play buy and hold. Um, Just park money for a while. Exactly. Because, you know, I've got a, I've got a property management company and brokerage. So, you know, I don't need that money to to live off of. Exactly. I don't need that money. I don't need that equity right now, but 30 years from now, you know, Mm -hmm. I'll be super happy that that we did it this way. Um, because I I can't tell you how many older investors I've met that go, damn, I, you know, I wish I I sold that. Yeah. Yeah, My grandfather back in the eighties built more duplexes in Woodbine. Uh, than anyone. I mean, they were like 1,102 square feet, you know, duplexes, one single story brick. And, you know, he sold them all because I mean, at the time you could, there's no way you could have ever said Woodbine would be good. Yeah. Not a chance. Yeah. And, you know, now he's like, damn, I wish I'd kept all yeah, this. Yeah, you know, <laughs> millions and millions. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. I mean, you think about what he'd yeah. be sitting on. Yeah. So you're looking to do buy and hold. Is that the only exit strategy? But like... Yeah, so so the the... Plan, plan A is a refinance. Okay. Uh, so we go in, uh, we bought the building for nine eighty. We're putting two hundred thirty thousand dollars worth of work into it. So we're all in under under you know about one point three. Sure. Let's call it. Um, you know, the the building based off of a cap rate, which is a beautiful thing about commercial real estate. We don't base it off of comps. You base it off of the cash flow. Uh, is going to be worth over two point three million dollars once it's stabilized. So we'll pull out eighty percent, seventy percent of our cash return all the investors' money back plus some, mm-hmm. and then we'll just cash flow. So you get in there and you've got 200-something thousand dollars worth of work. Is that a, does a LP fund that also, or do you need to come up with those funds? How does that work? So we just loop the construction loan in with our acquisition loan. Got it. It's all yep. one, one purchase. That's right. So we, we ended up um, putting about four hundred or $450,000 into this deal, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ourselves and the investors' money and for a, for a $1.3 million. I was so. you bought well over 20%. I mean, you're like at 
Well, 20% plus the, the funds for the construction. That's right. Yeah, 20% plus funds for yeah. construction. Um, and then you also have closing costs yep. and st- uh, sure. some other things. You, you you always raise more than what you actually need. Right. I mean, we typically you have, raise... you have working capital anyway for the first exactly. year. Exactly. Cover Operating and expenses yeah. and things right. like that. Yeah, so we I think we ended up raising probably 26 27% mm-hmm. um, when we only had a 20% down payment. That's nice. Nice. Okay, so you got it locked up. You have your exit strategies and you decided to. So tell us what it was like after you closed. What was the plan? You had to get them leased. What was that plan? Absolutely. So that, that's the nice thing about having a brokerage is that I've got a team where I say, hey, go make out and make this happen. So before we actually closed on the building, I had a tenant that had already signed a lease for one space, um, which proved to me, you know, hey, we're asking the right rate. You know, this building looked like somebody renovated it in 1985 walked the doors and left. It had that nice, thick, plush, green-blue carpet. It had that green-blue wainscoting. I mean, it's just like, it looked like my grandparents' house when I was a little kid. I'm not even kidding. So we got in, fully renovated it, um, you know, redid all the flooring, redid painting, added some walls, and created new suites. So the way that the building was laid out, five suites downstairs were perfect for a triple net style lease where the tenants pay for their share of common area maintenance, taxes, insurance, and utilities. Because there are single suites with a private entrance. So you're saying a triple net lease, they pay the tenant actually pays for taxes, insurance, CAM, common area maintenance, which could be whatever you want it to That's be right. and utilities. That's right. So you net one hundred percent of the That's lease. right. So it's sixteen dollars a foot okay. plus the triple net. So that's sixteen dollars a foot minus commissions is actually what we make which makes it super easy to underwrite deals. Um, And the reason that you separate those is because your common area maintenance may go up. Your taxes may go up. Uh, You know, that stuff kind of fluctuates. And 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 they're running a business. And it would be a real pain to try to always be factoring in, like, what's it going to be an inflation on cleaning fees or whatever, you know? Sure. Exactly. So on the upstairs, we actually did a full service lease, which is that, where we are handling 100% of everything. We pay the utilities, we pay common area maintenance, we pay janitorial. What is the deciding factor in that? Why do you do that versus triple net? So upstairs has common area, like hallways, restrooms, and a kitchen and a conference room. So they all, all, all 11 tenants up there stuff. share all of that. Yeah. Okay. There's like one a meter. Or That's right. That's right. Well, so so we did executive office suites. So think of it like a Regis or yeah, a WeWork. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it doesn't really make sense for for a tenant to you know handle that outside of what they're doing. Right. And then there's also one meter for upstairs. Yeah, so there's, so there's no one way. utility meter. Yeah, yeah. It'd be this is way high maintenance to try to. It's, it's easier for us to just collect one lump sum and then pay the bills than yeah. it is to collect one lump sum. And of course, you're going to add a little bit to the whatever would be, I'm assuming, to kind of cushion a little bit of it. Exactly. Well, so you have your management and your time in it. Exactly. Yes. Well, yeah. So so I've got a management company. And so what we did was, okay, well, we want to net $16 a foot. Okay, well, we know the average operating expenses for commercial buildings is, you know, in Nashville is $7.50 a foot. Well, this building doesn't have an elevator. It doesn't have a lot of the other things that a, the average office building has per uh, the uh, IRM, which is the Institute of Real Estate Management Standards. So I knew that our, our expenses are actually going to be way lower than that. I just went ahead and added that $7.50 onto the price per square foot and came up $23.50. Well, that's market rates um, for Class C product, not nice product. And, and keep in mind, we're delivering 200 square foot you know, one-person office suites mm. uh, that have been fully renovated at $23.50 a foot. So people are getting in there for 400 bucks a month. They have their own private office. 
And so that's why it just completely took off. We're about six months ahead of lease up right now. So this is an office building. That's right. So do tenants have the option to do their own build outs to suit their business? Um, so the, the tenants on the ground floor do. Um, upstairs, you know, most of these tenants are, they just want to bring in a desk and get they, started. Yeah, they're an entrepreneur or right. business exactly. owner or something. Sure. Exactly. They don't really want to come in here and do a build out, but so if they want to paint, then they're welcome to paint. Yeah. So who's responsible for the cost of the build out? Like, obviously, if you have to do the build out when they go to have a new tenant, all that stuff has to go away to the shell. Who's responsible for that? Well, so these are, these are pretty much moving. I mean, it's like, just like this office that we're in right now. So as long as they don't damage the carpet, which security deposit covers, as long sure. as they don't mess up the walls, security deposit covers that, sure. um, then, then we're good to go. And in the lease, it does say they have to return it to us in similar condition as to when they accepted Feels it. Feels like a normal residential lease. Exactly. Exactly. So, so we're not having to turn it over significantly. So we just went ahead and fully renovated the upstairs to make it as easy as possible for these tenants to just move in. Yeah. Like, I mean, I literally tell people that I'm touring, all you need to do is bring a desk. We actually provide Wi-Fi for you as well. So it's super easy. Turnkey just show up and start working. Exactly. Yeah. And then the turnover is easy too, because there's probably a higher demand. Somebody's out, you're in. Exactly. Okay, so um, you're working on the refi, you've, mm-hmm. you're getting a fully leased, and now you just basically you collect the checks, and your next step is just keeping up with everything and waiting for your five-year term on your loan to mature. Yeah, so we're actually going to, we'll refinance before the five-year. Okay. Uh, so, so as soon as the building is stabilized, we're refinancing it. So as soon as we get it to probably 90% occupancy, we'll pull that trigger. We were anticipating it to be between 18 and 24 months. Um, and like I said, we're about six months ahead of, yeah. of that lease up right now. So it'll probably be much sooner, which we love because, you know, we underwrote it for a three year. Uh, so if we're able to do it a 12 months sooner, right. our investors internal rate of return skyrockets because right. it takes a whole year off. So how many, I mean, do you, is there, is it common for the investors just to keep their money into something like, okay, I got cashed out. Tyler, where's the next deal? Here, I have this money. Find me something else. Yeah, so most investors do. I mean, they'll they'll uh, the majority of what people do is they'll take the return mm-hmm. on their investment and they'll keep that, mm-hmm. and then they'll keep snowballing the that cash. The the principal, yeah. So gotcha. so you know the the okay. you give me a hundred thousand dollars, we return you let's say a fifty thousand dollars. So they'll keep the fifty, and then 50% they'll keep return. the hundred. <laughs> yeah, and they'll keep the hundred. Rolling. Keep, keep it rolling, yeah, okay. Because why not? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes people will just keep it all rolling. Because it's, uh, you know, like we've got they some guys. They forget about the money and they're like, just keep yeah, it just growing. Yeah, just keep it and it's more. Just keep it growing. It's, yeah. Well, yeah, because we, well, we've got some <laughs> investors in this deal actually that are they're invested through a self-directed IRA. Yeah. So oh, they yeah. don't, you know, they what are they going to do with that money? Nothing. They go, okay, well, that's great. You turn my 50 into 100,000 or 50 into 75,000. Like, just roll it in the next deal. I can't right. do anything with it. Yeah, I can't touch it till I'm 59. Exactly. Anyway, so it's so like, it's, please move I, that I've, money. Please keep that turning. <laughs> yeah. So like, am I correct to say, just by hearing this, I mean, you're buying it, you're adding, you're building in the equity, you're refinancing, you're cashing out. Almost sounds like a residential uh, term as the Burr method. Yes, absolutely. So it is, it is a commercial Burr. Um, so what did you from, explain to everybody? Like, what does Burr stand for? And yep. basically, what is that? Yeah, so I, I actually learned about the Burr on Bigger Pockets. Um, right. It's it's B R R R R. So buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. So 
it, which is exactly what we did. We bought the building. Mm-hmm. We immediately rehabbed it. Right. We're now in the renting process. Um, then once we refinance it, you get all of your cash. I mean, the beauty of a refinance is it's technically a loan, so you don't get taxed on that income. So when I pull out, if I if I put in four hundred fifty thousand dollars, but and we refinance it and pull out eight hundred thousand dollars, that eight hundred thousand dollars does not get taxed. Correct. It's not taxable. It's, it's a refinance. <clears throat> so we can take that $800,000 is basically free money and go put that into another deal. So repeat. Nice, man. That's amazing. It's a game changer. It really is. I mean, real estate's the best investment vehicle. I can't see from here. David, are there any questions if you want to scroll? Guys, now's a really good time to throw your questions in. What's going on, Scott? How you doing, man? Uh, Scott. So, guys, like, um, we're here with Tyler Cobble from the Tobble, Ty, from the Cobble Group. Excuse me. Yeah, okay. Tyler, do you want to tell everybody how to get a hold of you, by the way, if they're looking to? So, Tyler, I'm pretty sure we'll help you look at a deal. Yeah, <laughs> if I you don't know what to deals. do with your deal, commercial deals, you call Tyler. So, how, how can people get a hold of you? Happy to do it. So, uh, Instagram is really the easiest. It's uh, commercial underscore n underscore Nashville. Um, you can probably also just type in my last name, which is kind of weird, and that should pop up, C-A-U-B-L-E, Cobble. Okay, and they can call you, t- I mean, whatever. Uh, you can, yeah, I mean, my, my cell phone number is very easy to find, so if you want that, shoot me a text. Cool. Um, and then my email is just tyler at thecobblegroup.com. Nice, man. Cool. Pretty easy enough. What we you do got, have, buddy? we got a few questions. We'll start with the first one. Okay. It was up here. It was by our buddy uh, Devon. Oh, yeah. What's up, Devon? Let's see. What is a good contingency number for unexpected cap expenses, surprises, residential or commercial? Oh, I, t- I typically do 10 to 15 percent. Okay. Um, so, you know, I think that we had anticipated about $200,000 worth of work, and then I think we did add in 15 percent, so we took out a $230,000 construction wow. loan. That's a really good question, yeah. Vaughn. Yeah, so for those correct. that don't understand, basically he's just asking – what is the contingency factor when we're doing a rehab that we're adding extra cushion for the unknowns, the oh, by the ways that always yeah. happen? The water heater that's in the yeah. ceiling that blows out. Because <laughs> I've, I've learned two things in real estate. It always takes longer, and it always costs more. Always. Right. Um, awesome, man. Thanks, cool. Devon, for that question, brother. Yeah. Appreciate you. One more, looks like. Um, oh, wait, no, we have two more questions. Uh, Tyler, what was the expected internal rate of return for investors at the beginning of the deal when you had the 18 to 20 month lease up timeline? Mm. Um, so we underwrote it to an 18 percent RR, which is what, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you typically, say IRR, IRR that internal rate of return. Got it. So that's um, so there's cash on cash, which is really how I like to look at things. But you also have to consider your internal rate of return. Uh, factoring in appreciation. That's and right. That well, and, and over time. Yeah. Right. Because if, if I say, hey, I'm going to give you a, a 10% return on your money, but it takes me five years, that's worth significantly less <laughs> than 10% return on your money in, in one, one year, year. Uh, yeah. just because of the time value of money. So, so <clears throat> you know, essentially, if you say, hey, it's a 20% return in year one, it would 20% IRR in year one, it would mm-hmm. be a 10% IRR in year two for the same amount of cash because you're having that. The, yeah. the amount of time. Cool. Um, so we we tip we were underwrote this one at eighteen percent. The minimum that we'll underwrite is a fifteen percent. Um, on a development deal, we typically do twenty five percent just because it it's riskier. Yeah, there's cool. way more unknown factors, right. and awesome. you're probably going to spend way more money in other regards. Yes. All right. What is Michael yeah. Mies saying right there? What's up, um, Michael? That was Michael's question. Oh, awesome, Mike. I hope that helped, Mike. And then let us know if, it, if we need any more clarification. Scott Sim Sanders. What's up, Scott? 
first two or three crucial steps you would recommend to an agent who wants to enter into the commercial real estate ah. field coming from residential? All right. Asking for a friend or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so what I would recommend, you know, the and learning resource he added, yeah, and learning resources. So, um, you know, I see too many residential agents try to do both, uh, and in my opinion, that's a horrible way of going about yeah, it. Jack of all trades, master yeah. of none. Exactly. Sure. So, so my team, I, we we will do. not do residential. We refer that out. I won't even let them do multifamily. Um, and then there's some other things, you know, like like land. Like we won't do land because again, if we're not going to be the best at it, why are we even yeah, wasting a, our time? It's a time on it? suck. If you, you got to become an expert, otherwise you you get mediocrity, like mediocre results, regardless. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I I know sitting across the table from a residential agent on a commercial deal, I have all the cards in my pocket. They have none. It'd be the same as if 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 I was trying to help someone buy a house. I mean, you guys have so many forms and disclosures and stuff like that that you don't have to do in commercial real estate. Oh. I would get myself sued so fast. It's, it's um, easy just to buy off market. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, what you I'm don't really hearing it. is it's kind of like a decision. Do you do you have to just decide? Do you want to do you commercial? You have to do it. Yeah. And then just like you're a new agent, you find a mentor, you find a good broker, and you learn. And that's that's literally it. I mean, you know, most commercial real estate agents, brokers developers, investors, whatever, they'll tell you it takes three to five years before you start really doing anything in yeah. commercial. And you have to take that leap. It took me, when I got into it, it was literally three years. Yeah. Um, yeah. Made 40 grand my first year, 40 grand my second year, tripled that my third year. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, that's almost the opposite. Like in residential, you can come out and, and, and if you're if you're a right badass, away. you can yeah. make six figures your first year. Yeah. You, you but, can, but you can also like... My first year and a half, I didn't make much of it. Right. Right. I mean, like, it was kind of like this, nothing, nothing, yeah. nothing, woo, yeah. here we go. Yeah. So yeah. it's give or take, you know? Exactly. And then, you know, commercial only on, on the back end, you're, you're working on significantly bigger deals. I mean, yeah. we're working on an $11 million dollar deal. Six-figure paychecks all the time. Yeah, uh, common. Scott, so it's very different. Does that so. answer your question, Scott? Hopefully, if, you know, feel free to reach out to us if you have any want to add to that. Yeah, definitely add reserves. Uh, I see someone. Uh, okay. Oh, learning resource, learning resources. Learning resources. Um, oh, yeah. I would. Uh, you know, you can go get your CCIM. You don't have to be a commercial real estate agent to do that. What is your CCIM? Uh, CCIM is a certified commercial investment member. It's basically the highest designation that you can get as a commercial real estate agent. How do you do so that? So it's it's like your CPA for accounting. Go to your board or whatever. Um, no, you actually go directly to CCIM. Got it. Yep. Okay, cool. So there's I think four classes. It'll probably cost you twenty to thirty grand to get it done. Uh, and it's it's worth it. Books or anything that people could at least start like looking at. I mean, obviously you have your book. Yeah, yeah my book uh, that'll just teach you about how to lease commercial real estate. So okay. not necessarily the What's best. What's the name of that book? Uh, Open for Business: The Got Insider's it. Guide to Leasing Commercial Real Estate. And you get that on on Amazon. Um, I, I would say um, it's it's tough. You know, there's not a whole lot of resources out there for commercial real estate. It's it's, it's best those, to like, you got a mentor under very someone. Niche. Fog and yeah. mirrors, like when people start talking about it, you're like, I don't. It's so different. It's yeah, yeah it's so different. I, I would just say find someone that that does commercial real estate that that is actually successful at it. And ask them to mentor you for three years. I mean, that's that's essentially what I did. I had to go work somewhere for four and a half before I could go off and do it on my own. You can't. You have to start off under someone because the contacts are different. Yeah. You know, like you know, in residential, people buy their names, their houses, and their names. Commercial real estate, it's under some LLC that's owned by an S corp. That's you know, you finally get to that, and it's an attorney somewhere that says, address "Don't call here, me ever again." Yeah, <laughs> address goes to here, and another state here, another state. And exactly. You're, like, you're never gonna track down. And on that note, this like finding any mentor in any business. I mean, you have. It's to the bring, best thing you could do. Right, but you have to bring value to your mentor also. Like, right. what are you gonna do? 
What are you going to do? What kind mm-hmm. of grunt work? Well, what could you bring to the table for that person? Because that person is going to spend time yeah, it's talking a, to you and mentoring you. Their time is very valuable. So what are you going to do to help them succeed at their business while they're helping you try to succeed at yours? Yeah, 100%. Well, I mean, I'm willing to teach anybody anything if they're going to come work for me for free or close to it. Yeah. Because, you know, look, I, I'm, I'm much better at teaching by showing you how it's yeah, done, then yeah. I'm going to just sit down and yeah, let's have coffee hours, and tell you. Just yeah. hours, exactly. yeah. Coffee, well, yeah, exactly. And I learned a long time ago, if you want to make money, like, make other people money. Yeah. yeah. If you, like, I have this all the time. People come up to me like, hey, I want to learn this or hey, I want to do this. I'm sure you all have this question all the time. I'm like, do you really want to do it? Because, like, if I tell you my story, I bled for a long time before yeah. I was really making any money. And I'm like, if you want to learn how I did this, then you got to be willing to bleed a little bit. And if you're yeah. not willing to bleed, then yeah. you don't really want to do this. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and everybody tries to, you know, social media is, is the bane of our existence. I mean, I take advantage of it and I love it, but everybody tries to act like they're actually doing a significant amount of business when they're, when they're not, right. you know, and they, they try to hide the fact that, you know, the real estate looks like it's so glamorous when, no, I mean, people lose money and don't oh, make money all the time. The time. Oh my God. All the time. I was talking with a buddy just a few days ago. He's telling me how he's going to lose 120 grand. Yeah. Mm, that's a, that's a hard. I was like, I had a deal that went wrong with a partner earlier this year. Um, he actually, uh, he's probably going to get indicted for, you know, federally for fraud and, and a number of other things. But he, uh, he left us carrying the loan by ourselves, oh. you know, and that was a, a significant portion of what his responsibility was in, oh. the, un, in the loan. And so now we're going from, you know, what I thought was we had 24 months of interest carry. We only had 24 months of interest only so in the loan. Now you're trying to do like capital raise or. Yeah, so now sounds... I'm having to come out of pocket 3,800 bucks oh a month God. to carry this property. And that's, that sounds it's a lot of money. Like a familiar oh, story. Sh- yeah. Um, any uh, are there other questions on there, Dave? We're going to wrap this up, guys. If you, I mean, you've got like 60 seconds to throw your questions in there. Hey, Gina, what's going on? What's up, Gina? Uh, Preach. Preach. Switch is being considered. No, nope, doesn't look like we have any other questions. Cool, guys. Well, Tyler. Well, Scott, give me a call if you have any other questions. Yeah. Happy to help you out, man. Cool. Dude, Tyler, man, thanks for your time hanging out with us. Man, Absolutely. This no, this is so fun. fun. This is great, man. This yeah. is great. You can... Uh, Go look at our other episodes on Deal Shares. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, all of the platforms that you watch podcasts. We have Instagram. We have our Facebook. So feel free to reach out. Dave and I and Tyler are all happy to help analyze your deals. So send your deals to dealshredders at gmail.com. Reach out to me. Reach out to David. We're pretty easy to get a hold of. And yep. Guys, I think this wraps up episode six with Tyler Cobble. There we go. Thanks again, brother. Thanks, guys. Happy New Year, y'all. See y'all later, guys. All right.